Our scripture passage this morning comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 through 34. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. No doubt, there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then, when you come together, it's not for the Lord's supper you eat, for when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. That's why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home, so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give further directions. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. All right, well, welcome, especially welcome to all of our, our guests this morning. My name's Logan. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm really glad to see all of your faces. Um, and I'm really excited that we get to celebrate communion together. Uh, you know, they say one of the most dangerous phrases in the business world is when you say, that's just the way we've always done it, right? That's just the way we've always done it. You're, you're in trouble in business if you're saying that because it, it means that you're doing something but you're not really sure why. That happens a lot. It happens when any company, when any organization gets to the place where we forget the why behind, our action, behind what we're doing. The, the stuff that once had a very specific purpose in, in our organization now has just become kind of an empty ritual, a mindless practice. It happens all the time. Maybe you've worked in places where they have habits like that. And of course, if it can happen in a business that's only a couple of years old, maybe a couple of decades old, of course that can happen in the church that's thousands of years old. The Lord's Supper that we're doing today, or communion as, as we call it, is something that the church has been doing really since it started. And over the years, if you look through church history, you find out that the Lord's Supper has often gotten confused. People have often gotten mixed up about why we practice this. 
Maybe that's you today. Maybe you're confused about it right now. Maybe you're coming here and, and you've been to church before. You've seen this done before. Maybe you've taken this a million times before, but you're not quite sure why. Maybe you think, well, it's just the way we've always done it. Well, that's you this morning. This message is for you. Today, what I'm hoping about as we take a whole sermon to talk about communion is that, that we would get to understand what's happening here. Because this meal really is core to who we are. It is, is fundamental to what we do as a church. Inside of this meal is really the essence of the message that we preach every single Sunday. And not only that, it is an encounter with God. It is a powerful moment. It is something that literally empowers our mission as the church. And so today, as we look at this, I want to share with you three things that even if you're brand new to the church this morning, I hope will show you that, that this meal is not just one of those things that we do. But really, it's one of the most powerful things that you can experience on earth. This morning, I want to talk about just some really basic stuff. I want to show uh, what does this mean. I want to show how we receive this meal. And then I want to talk about what it does. What, what does it mean? How do we receive it? And what does it do? So let's get, let's get into it. What does it mean? You can't really understand this meal unless you look back at the history, where this meal came from. In all of the gospel accounts, so that's Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, each one of them gives us the account of the first time that Jesus instituted this meal. The, it was at the Last Supper. This is when he first instituted communion. And when he did it, he did it in the context of another feast, the context of a Passover. In the Gospel of Luke, it says, Jesus said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. So the first thing you got to notice is that Jesus purposefully puts this meal inside of this Passover feast. And do you remember what the Passover is? Can you recall all the way back to the almost the beginning of the Bible, the second book of the Bible, the story in Exodus, where God miraculously delivers his people out of slavery in Egypt. And he does that by sending this series of miraculous plagues. And the final one of those plagues is unique. The final one of those plagues was a plague that God said would cost every single family the life of their firstborn child, their firstborn son, unless they sacrificed the lamb and ate this special feast, this feast with unleavened bread. He says to us in, in Exodus that the night before the, the angel of death was to come, he says the people are to sacrifice a lamb and then eat the meat, roast it over the fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. And then that sacrificed lamb, they are supposed to paint the blood over the doorposts of their houses. And he says, the blood will be a sign for you on your houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. And that's exactly what happened. 
The houses that had painted their doorposts with these bloods were, were spared from death. And after their deliverance, after God delivered these people from that moment and then from Egypt entirely, he commanded them that year after year they would remember that feast. That they would honor the feast of the Passover, this meal of sacrificing a lamb and eating it with unleavened bread, remembering that moment when God redeemed his people. So this was a feast practiced every year, remembering God's faithfulness to his promises, remembering the good news that God had not left his people in captivity. He hadn't forsaken them underneath these people who had enslaved them, but instead he delivered them. He took them out of that place and then brought them into a blessed land, a promised land. He built them up into a great nation. That's what the feast was all about. That's why the people gathered every year to celebrate. And so in the middle of that feast, Jesus stands up and he says this. It says, he took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to them and said, this is my body. Do, uh, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink of it, do this in remembrance of me. The message is, is obvious now, but it's kind of shocking, right? You picture the feast. Picture the instructions that God had given. Here's the wine for the feast. Here's the bread for the feast. But what's missing? What's missing in Luke's story? Well, where's the lamb? Do you ever notice that? Jesus, Luke doesn't mention the lamb. And that's because, well, you know, the lamb is Jesus. That's the point. The message is clear. The lamb is Jesus. Jesus is the true sacrifice that all those other lambs were pointing to. He is the true lamb whose blood is covering us and eternally delivering us from death. He's the one who gives us access, not just to the promised land, but to the eternal promised blessings of God. So the Passover, it is a feast that reminds people year after year that God had delivered his people from slavery by the blood of a lamb. And now, here, Jesus has given us this meal that when we take it, we remember that God has redeemed us from slavery. From the slavery to sin and death. By the blood of another lamb, the lamb of God that was shed for us on the cross. So the first thing you need to know is this connection to Passover. It's crucial if we're going to understand what this meal is all about. But that's honestly just the tip of the iceberg. That's just the beginning of us figuring out what we're doing here. Because the second thing that Jesus says in, in this verse in Luke, he says, do this in remembrance of me. Everybody say remember. He says, do this in remembrance of me. Now, whenever we come to this meal, Jesus says we need to remember him. We need to recall him. But not just what he did a long time ago. He's actually, there, there are three dimensions to this remembering, past, present, and future. When we remember Jesus at this meal, first we do, we remember the cross, 
We remember the stories of the gospel. We remember what Jesus has done, that he has fully paid for all of our sins with his precious blood. But we also remember right now what Jesus is doing. Jesus says, I haven't left you as orphans, amen? He is present with us. He is working in us. His Holy Spirit is with us in this moment, transforming us, perfecting us, renewing us, empowering us, not way back then, but today he's doing that. And not only that, but it calls us to to remember his promises about the future. His promises that he says, I'm not going to eat this meal again with you until I come back. He tells us to look ahead to that day when we're going to eat this meal again with him at the wedding supper of the Lamb. That day when there will be no more pain, no more tears, no more crying, no more consequences of sin. But we're going to be fully together in the joyful presence of Jesus. Are you looking forward to that day? That's a lot of meaning, right? what he's done for us in the past, what he's doing for us right now, what he will do for us in the future. But you know what? I'm still not done. (laughs) There's even more going on here at this table. One of the things Jesus, uh, Paul tells us that we need to remember, that there's a very important piece of symbolism here. Not only about what Christ has done for you, but it also points to not just who he is, but who we are our identity together as the church of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul says, because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share one loaf. Everybody say one body. One body. body. That means this supper, it's not just about you and Jesus. It's not only a picture of our individual salvation, but it is a reminder that Jesus is making us a people. Jesus came to rescue a people. When when Jesus died for our sins, he didn't just make a way for you to have a relationship with God. He did that. But he also made a way for us to be connected once and for all with each other. Despite our differences, Despite the reality of our own going sin, despite all of those things in this world that might keep us apart, he has given us this new common identity that transcends all the other things about us, right? I'll say this table right here, this place, is probably the only table in all of North Carolina where Duke fans and Carolina fans (laughs) are going to come together and say, we are one, (laughs) This meal displays the reality that in Christ, we are one body. So practically, as we we come here, we remember the forgiveness that we've received. And when we do that, hopefully, as we remember that we're one body and we remember the forgiveness Jesus has shown us, then we can show forgiveness to each other. And we can seek forgiveness where we know we have sinned against each other. 
So that's a lot, but here's what it means. Here's what this table means. It means that, that this is one, the new covenant version of that Passover feast. It's a place where we remember Jesus past, present, and future, and it is a place that displays our unity in Christ. And so that leads us to an important question. How are we supposed to take it? How do we do it? Is there a right way? Is there a wrong way to do it? Some meals can be intimidating, right? We've all seen those movies where the main character goes to a very fancy dinner and kind of bumbles and stumbles, doesn't know what to do with all the forks and with all the spoons. I, I had an experience kind of like that myself recently. I, I went to, to Kindred. Shout out to Kindred. Ryan uh, works over there. It's a great restaurant, maybe the best one around, but it is a nice restaurant. And it's a little bit intimidating. They have all these foods that... I don't really know what they are, right? Like fried sunflowers and oranges and things. And they got these tiny little plates that you share with the whole table. And I got to admit, even though I'd been there before, the whole time I was a little bit uncomfortable. <laughs> I was thinking, maybe, you know, maybe I'm not fancy enough for this place. <laughs> maybe I'm just not, I don't know what to do. And sometimes communion can be like that, can it? You know, when do I sit? When do I stand? What do I take? What do I say? Well, if that's you, I want to assure you, that part doesn't really matter that much. Every church does it a little differently. Every church has a slightly different tradition. What really matters is that at some point, you get the bread and you get the, the wine or the juice. We're not going to judge you on, on that part of, of, of how it gets done. There is, however, a wrong way to take it. But it's not about your technique. It's about your heart. The passage that we read just a second ago at the beginning of this sermon, it comes from this moment in the life of a church, a church in the town of Corinth. And Paul is upset with them. He's writing this letter of rebuke because apparently they have gotten a little mixed up about the Lord's Supper, and they're using it as a time to, to gorge themselves. Some of them are getting drunk off the wine. They're, in fact, eating it early before people get there, and then there's none left for other people. And when Paul rebukes them, he says a lot more than, don't do that. He actually tells them that what you guys are doing is a lot more serious than you think. He says, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. So, what does that mean? Well, when we ask the question, how are we supposed to receive this meal? The first thing is we need to receive it with repentance. We need to receive it by examining ourselves. Have you guys heard of the Westminster Catechism? Most of the Presbyterians probably have. The Westminster Catechism is this old question and answer tool. It goes back hundreds of years, and it's meant to teach Christians the basics of their faith. What do we believe? Uh, what are we doing and there is a question about this. How do you get ready to take the Lord's Supper? 
And here's the answer. It's a little long, but, but bear with me. It says, when we prepare for the Lord's Supper, here's what we do. It involves careful examination of the condition of our life in Christ, of our sins and failings, of whether we truly and to what degree know God, believe in him, and have repented, and of whether we love God and our fellow believers. We should have a charitable attitude toward everyone, including forgiveness of those who've wronged us. We must also assess how much we desire Christ and whether we are living in newness of obedience. And finally, we must renew the practice of these graces in us by serious meditation and prayer. Now, that's a lot, but what that means is that when we come to this meal, we shouldn't take it lightly. This is not a dead ritual. It's not an empty tradition. This is serious business. It's a moment where we are fellowshipping with a living God. So that means if you don't actually know God, if you don't believe the gospel, if you don't trust Christ for your salvation, this isn't a meal you're supposed to take. At least not yet, right? The people in Corinth who are out there treating the Lord's Supper like it's the buffet at Golden Corral, right? They, they're making a serious mistake because they, they did not recognize the, the purpose of the meal. It's not a meal that you mess around with. It's a meal with power. It's a meal that when Paul goes on, he says, that is why many of you are weak and sick and why some of you are dead. So if you are coming here this morning and you're coming superstitiously, you're just coming here because you're thinking, well, maybe if I take this, I'll get some kind of magic blessing. Something apart from a real relationship with God. Well, that's not how this works. It's not a rabbit's foot. This is, it's a covenant renewal ceremony. In some ways, this is like renewing your wedding vows. It's a moment where you come up and you once again, you profess your faith in a living God, in the salvation of Jesus. And then God, in return, professes his love and his care and his mercy over your life. It's also an intimate meal. It's a family meal. Now, Everybody is welcome in the family. Anybody who wants to come can be a part of the family. But if you come pretending you're a part of the family, well, you're making a mockery of it. If you don't believe, you're like a wedding crasher at the Lord's table, at his banquet. But he's not fooled. So the first thing we have to do to receive this is we've got to repair, examine ourselves. We've got to repent. We have to prepare ourselves. And here's an important distinction, though. I, I want to make this clear. This is a meal for sinners. It's not a meal for perfect people. In fact, everybody say, a meal for sinners. If you're here this morning, and you hear Jesus say, this is my body, and it's given for you, and your thought is, I don't deserve that. Well, you're right. You don't deserve it. No one deserves it. 
But that's why he came. Occasionally, we'll, we'll take communion at our church, and then after the service, I'll find out there are Christians in the room who, for one reason or another, decided not to take it. And I'll ask them why they didn't take communion, and they'll say, well, I have some sin in my life that I'm trying to deal with. You know, maybe they're struggling with pornography, or maybe they have some kind of uh, conflict in their life that isn't resolved yet. And as I talk with them, I say, well, it seems like you're convicted over that sin. It seems like you're desiring change, that you need God's grace in your life because of that sin. Why wouldn't you come to the table of grace? That's, that's when you need it the most, right? And it's not a new problem. That's a problem that even back in the, the catechism people were wondering about. There's a question that says, what do we do if we're doubting? What do we do if our faith is weak? Should we come to the table? And it says, 500 years ago, those who have doubts about their position in Christ or about their readiness to take communion may, nonetheless, have a valid interest in Christ. And even though they're not yet assured of being in him, people in that condition may, and look at this, and ought to come to the Lord's Supper, so that their faith may be further strengthened. The point is this. This meal feeds sinners with the grace of God. You'd never say, I shouldn't eat lunch today. I'm just too hungry. So why would you ever say, I shouldn't receive grace today. I'm just too sinful. This is why grace exists. In fact, if we want to get into the weeds, you know, it's really not up to you at all whether you admit yourself to the table or whether you don't come to the table. That's the, the second thing. We take this meal with repentance, but secondly, we take this meal with the church. Letting people come to the table is one of the jobs of elders in this church. That's why we have a church membership process in churches. It's so that there are people who can hear your profession of faith and they can say, yeah, okay, yeah, you're definitely a Christian. We knew it, but now, now we ex receive your profession, we examine your faith, and you're a member of this body, and as a part of that, you're going to take communion as well. The elders are really, technically speaking, the people who tell you to come to the table. And that means also that the elders are the people who can technically tell you when you shouldn't come to the table. And that's not going to just happen by surprise on a Sunday morning. <laughs> you know, nobody's going to come up here and, and stiff arm you when you're walking down the aisle. But that's going to happen through a process of pastoring and shepherding and knowing you that if your life gets to the point where you are in sin and unrepentance, where it seems to the leaders of the church, like you are living in open rebellion against God, then the elders might come and, and institute church discipline. And they say, your life, based off of, of what we see, has made us worry about the state of your soul. And as a result, we don't want you to come to the table. Because we want you to see the consequences, where this is going to take you, and we want you to repent. And we want to restore you so that you can come back to the table. Because here's the thing I'm trying to say, guys. 
This sounds crazy to our modern ears, but the table belongs to the church. Not to you personally. Not to me personally. It's a sacrament. It's a gift given by Jesus to his church. So the the church admits you to the table. The church can keep you from the table. And maybe that can help you understand, too, why in this church babies don't take communion. Or small children don't take communion. It's not because kids don't need God's grace. They need God's grace. But it is because they can't understand what's happening. They can't do what Paul says. They can't discern the body and the blood of Jesus. They can't examine their hearts in an appropriate way like Paul says. They haven't gotten to that point yet where they can say, I'm a sinner and Jesus is my only hope for salvation. But when they get there, well, then they go to the elders and then they share their testimony and the elders welcome them into the full communion of the church. So in a minute, when I come down here, that's why you're going to hear me say something like, if you're a member in a, of, ch- of a church in good standing, it's not because you have to be a member of this church necessarily, but anyone who comes to this table should be a member of a church somewhere, that there should be elders who have examined your profession of faith and that you'd be formally connected to a worshiping body somewhere. So we receive communion by examining ourselves with repentance. We receive it with the church. And and the last thing here is that we receive it with the word. And this is just a short and simple point, but you probably got it already. Communion is not a private thing. You know, I'm not going to come to your house tomorrow and bring some bread and, and wine over and say we're having communion. That's not what communion is. Communion's not just some special thing that the the pastor does for you, but instead it's something we do together. And so whenever we receive communion, we we do it with the word being preached, with a clear explanation of the gospel. And we do it with the body, with with our elders and with, with our fellowship gathered together. And now if you're in the hospital, for instance, and you say, Pastor, I really want to have communion, I'm I'm bedridden in the hospital. Well, that's a great desire. And we're going to make that happen for you. But the way we're going to do it is I'm going to grab an elder. And I'm going to grab a few people from the congregation. I'm going to grab a Bible. And we're going to come to your hospital room and we're going to have a little worship service. We're going to pray to the Lord and then we'll take communion together. So that's the how. I know that's, (laughs) there's there's a lot here, but that's the how. We take it with repentance We take it with the church, and we take it with the word. Now, we've done all that work, but what does it do? What does this meal do? Why are we, what are we expecting to get out of this in a couple of minutes when we come to the table? The instructions that Paul gives to Corinthians, he also re-quotes that that verse from Luke. He says, this is my body He says, I I passed on to you what I received. That Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he says, this is the cup. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. So we talked about, do this in remembrance of me. We talked about how we're supposed to remember what Jesus has done, past, present, and future. But these other words... This is my body. This is the new covenant. Those are crucial. we got to understand those words if we are going to understand this meal. Because those words, 
They tell us this is more than a memorial. It's more than just remembering. It's more than just a ritual. This is different than anything else we will ever do on a Sunday morning. This is different. This is something that isn't simply using our our minds, engaging our hearts. It's not like listening to a sermon or reciting our liturgy. This is a meal with power. Everybody say power. Power. Christ is really present in this meal. Now, the bread's not going to magically change into flesh. We can't submit the wine later for blood testing. The substance isn't going to change. But Christ is present. He's present in a a unique way, a, a mysterious way. We are truly feeding on him at this table. One of the old catechisms, again, it says, As surely as I see with my eyes the bread of the Lord broken for me, And the cup given to me, so surely has Jesus given his body and his blood for me. And as surely as I receive from the hand of the minister and taste the bread in my mouth, so surely does Jesus himself nourish and refresh my soul to everlasting life. This means... We're going to encounter God here. This is a holy moment. This is, the word, the technical word is sacrament, right? Sacra. It means sacred. It means otherworldly. It means mysterious. Guys, this is a moment when the curtain of this world is pulled back and the divine breaks in. It's amazing. It's awesome. It's so awesome, in fact, that the Scottish people, they, 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 were, they were so careful to protect this meal that they would only do it twice a year. And when they did it, they would make the whole weekend dedicated to it. They'd have parties, they'd have celebrations, and at the pinnacle of it was taking the Lord's Supper. Because they knew this was such an important moment, they did not want anyone to take it for granted. Now, funny enough, John Calvin thought very differently. He said, yes, this meal is so powerful. We need it every single week. Why would we ever let it go by? The gospel is great, but we don't say, oh, don't preach it too much. People people get too used to it. (laughs) They'll start taking it for granted. No, he says, we preach it every week because it's good. We should have communion every week because it's good and we need it. He says this is a means of grace. This is a channel. It's a grace distribution system and we should take advantage of it. So, I'd love to have it every week. I need it every week. But the good news is we have it today. This amazing supper, it is set out before you right now, and it is a reminder of God's faithfulness to you. That you're not good enough, but he is. That you cannot pay for your sins, but he has. 
that you do not have the power to change. But he does. And he gives it to you freely. And the very last thing I'll say before I come down these stairs is that 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 power that he's going to give us through this meal, that power is not meant to stop with you. That grace that he's going to feed you with at this table, that grace is not meant to stop with you. But as it fills you up, it should flow out into your life. Flow out into your family. Flow out into your community and into the broken places of this world. This meal is a meal that fuels our mission. And so, if you're like me this week, after thinking about this, after smelling the, the aromas of the meal, you're ready to eat. You're hungry and you're thirsty for the righteousness of Christ. If you're like me this week, you're starving for this spiritual food. If that describes you, this meal is for you. This meal is not for perfect people. It's not for people who've done it all right. But it's for people who know that what they need more than anything else is to feed on the body and the blood of Jesus and to receive his grace. Now, if that doesn't describe you, if you're not a believer, first of all, we want to say welcome. We are so glad that you're here. We exist for you in many ways. And we would love to talk to you about faith. We'd love to answer any questions. I would love personally for you to come down here in a moment and I will pray for you. But I want to encourage you, if you don't believe, don't take it yet. Because this is a meal with power. And we don't want you to take it until you can know that it's what you need. That you can be thankful and you can receive Christ as your Savior. You can get baptized and join the church, and and then come take it. This is something I want us all to be thankful for, because it is a beautiful gift.